Chucky Slick. Straight out of the gnaw. The song is for all you beauties out there living the dream. Whether you're first line or fourth line, committed or uncommitted, Junior A or Junior B, the song is dedicated to the lifestyle. Feel me. I'm just living the dream with the boys on my team. Free meals, free gear, all the girls want to get with us. I ain't trying to sound cocky, but it is junior hockey, so I'm going to live it up. Time is limited, so I can't be taking it. Living life on the road. Welcome to another episode of the Prairie Perspective podcast presented by Player Golf. Back here and alongside me is Eric Carter and Dinesh. And on today's episode, we talk to an absolute legend as we drop one of the most anticipated interviews in pod history. Chucky Slick comes on to chat with the boys about what was behind one of the greatest songs of all time and an absolute anthem in minor hockey dressing rooms across Saskatchewan, Living the Dream, which you guys heard during the intro. We also find out more about the life of Chucky and what is up with him now as he lives the life over in Spain playing professional rollerblade hockey. We also catch in with TSN's Farhan Lalji to discuss the breakout of Abbotsford, British Columbia's Chase Claypool, who Farhan is extremely familiar with from Chase's time playing high school football out on the West Coast. And we also talk about the summer of the Vancouver Canucks, including moving on from Jacob Markstrom and the signing of Braden Holpe, the pursuit of Oliver ekman Larson, and what's to come for Cole Lint and Michael Furland. But before we get into those interviews, let's head over to UDB. After a bit of a COVID scare, you're locked up over there. What's going on in uh, quarantine life at the Ball Christians? Not much, man. Just uh, wake up late, super late, and then just like how late? How late are we talking? Not that. I guess twelve o'clock, like in the afternoon, like twelve p.m. sharp around there. <laughs> sharp. And then and then just hang hang out for a bit. And then uh, go back to sleep, have an afternoon nap. By that time, it's like around six. Eat supper, and then we're into the evening hours. So I'm fine after that. When uh, when's your quarantine session end? On the sixteenth. Sixteenth. Yeah, on Friday. So we're, we're uh, halfway okay. there. Yeah, it's not a strict strict quarantine, but it's. Uh, like, can you leave the house? Main... I can leave the house. I go for like walk. You remember, like at the beginning <laughs> of. Uh, covid like how yeah, everyone, yeah, yeah. Like, didn't really go out but like people went out for walks and stuff you know yeah yeah, I know yeah that, that, that's what i'm doing right now where my brother on the other hand he has to uh full he on. The, yeah he's full on i i can only go for like walks by myself like solo no exposure to anybody so basically around the block so your brother <laughs> can't go for a walk no he can't <laughs> hmm. it's just for contract tracing purposes that we have to isolate too Technically, we just have to monitor symptoms and then stay as isolated as possible for uh, contract tracing purposes. According to the uh, health region, that's what they said. Brother's uh, downstairs. He's uh, in his own cave. And then when he comes up, he's all masked up, gloved up. And we got some uh, cleaning solutions and shit when he comes up and eats. And then when he's in the kitchen, we're away from the kitchen. And then when he's out of the kitchen, that's when we go in. Yeah, it's kind of like, got to play strategy around here man so did he when that guy's did your bro get tested for covid like it like because he got no they told him not to no they told him not to not to get tested yeah they told all the med kids not to (laughs) unless they're feeling symptoms like why why would they say that like don't you want to be tested no they said uh unless you're feeling symptoms uh don't get tested but just isolate um you're the uh, asking the wrong person man Hmm. They don't really yeah. uh, make those rules around here. I just try to follow them to the best of my ability. Look well at that! Done. Look at that beard you got going, though, Dinesh. 
Yeah, I, I got a shave it today, but I got to get it lined up, you know? DJ Khaled and shit lines it up on the side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I got to get a, get a barber in here and start lining things up. Well, Friday you can do that, I guess, eh? Yeah, it's coming up. It's not that bad, to be honest. Days, so we started on Wednesday, so we're already on Monday, halfway there. So how's that work for your parents? Like, your parents stuck in the house, too? Yeah, except for my dad. He's the only guy that freaking okay. got tested because he actually goes in and sees, uh, like, patients and shit. So. so I don't get why you guys wouldn't just get tested, too. Then you, your free game, you can do whatever the hell you want. No, either way, we still have to, man, because it could be, like, asymptomatic or some shit like that they were saying. Like, okay, then, oh, then how, then how Dinesh, can you get out of Dinesh, doing that? Dinesh, asymptomatic means you don't or have like symptoms, po- not you don't test or, positive. Or, uh, <laughs> or, uh, or, uh, or uh, what's the, whatever that's called. False uh, negative or some shit. I don't know. False positive. No, no, but then how can positive. your dad... I just don't get this. How can your dad just get tested and be good to go and leave the house and you guys can't? Because of his job, man. I know, and but... What he like, <laughs> This doesn't make any Dude, sense. Dude, I, I don't don't ask me, man. I don't really have any too many answers. I just I'm hanging out till the 16th, and once 16th hits, we'll be back to normal. That's all I can say, man. Maddie, talk to me about that golf game you had on Friday. A little chilly afternoon round at the Willows. How'd you play? It was uh, it was a nice one actually. Not too warm, but no wind. I was actually pretty dialed. Had a good front nine, maybe couple over and then uh we went a little scramble in the back caleb and i took it home willows just came along came along nice i have to say i was uh pretty harsh to it to uh in those june months it was it was pretty trash but uh greens came along nice course is nice it was a nice yeah, fall nice fall afternoon good work carter yeah thank you very much dinesh uh haven't seen you out in the links a bit here because of this big quarantine uh Talk to me a bit about bit about the golf game, Dinesh. You know, kind of a year in review here. Only maybe a bit of a shortened season, but did you make strides? Are you pretty happy with where your game is right now heading into the winter months? Yeah, man. I made some uh, good strides. I was uh, consistent in uh, seeing Schmaltz and try to put some work in. So, made some good strides, man. But uh, got to continue to see him uh, over the winter. Uh, I'm going to try to go once a month. So uh, when I come back, it's not a brand new game to me. <laughs> we kind of still have some uh, some of the mechanism there. But, yeah, no, man, I've seen some good strides. Uh, scores have been a bit better, so can't really complain, man. Having fun with it, can't complain. What would you put your handicap at right now? If you could say like a, like a 16, 17? Oh, in there? No, more, more than that, maybe like. Just maybe like 22. <laughs> so, so not you're a bogey, bogey golfer. Golf, uh, yeah, a little, no, worse than bogey golf. Bogey golf's 18, eh? Okay, once. So, that's pretty close to bogey golf, eh? Don't give me that noise. Yeah, I'm actually, uh, yeah, I'm probably somewhere in there. But there's a couple holes where I just screw up big time. So it just F's with my score, you know? Eh? A couple holes I start hacking. And Hack. then uh, just gets, uh, you know, those sevens or eights once in a while come up, they just kill my game. So a mid nine golfer. That's you know what? That's a that's a lot. I made better. some improvement, match Schmaltz. Oh, sure. See, I can hit the golf ball a little like better than I used to be able to. At least it's going somewhere. That's all that matters, especially at the Willows. Like even if I don't get on in the green and two, on par fours, I get somewhere 
like 50, you know, 70 yards. And then I get on and try to uh, save a par, which I never do, and then tap it in for bogey. That's always the optimal way of playing right now. Respect. Just try to get on and try to make pars. If I can get one or two, that's a bonus, man. But if I don't, so be it. I'll never Just forget take- probably like four years ago, Dinesh, Dinesh texts me. It's probably like March right before the season's about to start. And Dinesh texts me, man, not going to be happy with pars anymore. That's the bottom line. Birdies are bust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Dude, it's good attitude though, right? You got to have that attitude going in. After the first couple swings, I had to change it up quick. But, dude, I ate some hot chicken tikka, some good old chicken, some uh, curry chicken, chickpeas, mm. rice. Mom made it spicy as hell too. Did she, she give you the I warning? I'll never dog. forget me and uh, Ethan Meyer sleeping over in Dinesh's living room. She wakes us up at about nine in the morning, says, boys, it's going to be getting spicy in here. She had some pancakes on the grill. <laughs> <laughs> and Ethan are killing ourselves. <laughs> yeah, those were the good old days. That was also the day I think uh, my brother came home super late and then- <laughs> Yeah, man, it was That's up to like was four in the morning, too. and your parents were pissed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those were the good old days, man. They were just giving that guy heat. Speaking of heat, Dinesh, we got a little talk, a little Miami NBA Finals Game Six. Lakers took it four to two. That wrapped up Sunday night. Let's hear your thoughts as a Heat fan. Pretty happy with how it turned out in the end, even if you the boys fell a little bit short. Yeah, man, pretty happy with it. At least they took it to six games. They didn't get swept. It wasn't a gentleman's sweep. And they took it one above that six games, man. So not bad. But to be honest with you, they had a shot after the first quarter. But that second quarter, there was like, I think, uh, 36-16 for the Lakers in that second quarter. And they were already up eight in the first. So that's the difference right there. I think the second half, uh, it's a fairly close game if you take out the first half. But that second quarter really killed them. So oh, well, it is what it is. But I think uh, Miami needs to get a, try to acquire a big name if they can uh, in the offseason. And maybe they can now with uh, the way they performed this season in the East. Uh, I think uh, guys maybe want to potentially play there knowing uh, what they've got going there and all the young talent. So if they can uh, land a big one to help all Butler and the young guys, then they'll be really able to compete with uh, Brooklyn, which will be, I think, the next uh, closest star-wise and uh and then put up a fight against uh la or any of those hooligans in the west if uh ad decides to stay but again i'm not sure how that's gonna shape out either db being a heat fan uh who would you like to see uh join miami heat this coming season you named you said a couple big superstars potentially could be landing in miami who do you who would you like to see as a heat fan time out time out this this is absolutely eric trying to tee up some bradley beal trade talk wow wow (laughs) i'd love to see Giannis go there the bucks could potentially trade him um if they're feeling afraid that he might just walk so they can at least get something for him um but in that case like i honestly i'm if i'm a milwaukee fan you gotta think if they don't have a year this coming year where they can compete or perform, he's definitely gone. He's not coming back. But right now, being the current state of the Bucks, I think if I was the GM, I would potentially be looking at places and destinations because if it, if they 
perform like they did this past year, I don't think he's re-signing, that's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. They need somebody in that uh, four or five position to help them out. I think their backcourt's fine. Their middle game's fine, too. It's just they needed somebody, like a big man type guy, to really uh, play down low with whoever's down there. Montrez, Harrell, freaking AD, Jokic, whoever's down there, man. Because uh, it's a really no. tough task. I disagree with you in that. Guardy. Yeah, I think they, I I think they, I think they got to upgrade player. the point guard. Yeah, I agree. I think they got to upgrade the point guard. I don't think Bledsoe, uh, I just don't think Bledsoe cuts it, to be honest with you. Look at his performance this postseason, and it was uh, very subpar. Chris Middleton, you got, a, you got a player in him, being now, I guess, a perennial all-star kind of thing, right? Maybe Middleton's Ish. a piece you upgrade with. Maybe you look to move Middleton and see what he can bring you in. Bring in a bat, Bradley Beal. <laughs> it's a pretty weak free agency class. There really isn't much besides... Um, Anthony Davis's player option. Freddie Van Vliet is one of the big names out there. Brandon Ingram. Yeah, Va- Fred. Uh, you think he's gonna come back, or he's, you think he's gonna try get paid or go somewhere where the money is? I've read a lot of reports about like the the Knicks and Suns being very interested. They're both teams with a lot of cap space. So, in a weak free agency class, Van Vliet can probably take advantage of and demand a big ticket, right? Like Pardon? you said, though, Ball, I, I really like what Miami did. It kind of seems like they've kind of revitalized that culture there. And a guy who's really changed his reputation is Jimmy Butler. Think about where he was when he left Minnesota. He was His name was kind of in shambles. He was getting ripped apart. And now he kind of seems like the ultimate team guy. He laid it all on the line during that finals run, did everything he could to give the boys a chance. Really, it would have been over and four if it wasn't for Jimmy. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, yeah, some guys played good to help him out, but, it's just uh, young guys in game six didn't uh, come to play. Like Harrell and shit, having turnovers, chucking bricks off the side of the backboard. Got, Stuff like that, Matt. I got one for you, Bali. You think Jimmy Butler's a top 10 player in the league? He's uh, he's not a super, he's not on that top tier, but he's on the next to top tier. So you think he's, he's the not top a young player? So that was a good answer, Bali. <laughs> yeah, well, you completely yeah. evaded the question. <laughs> I think he's heard that one on. Uh, yeah. He's heard that one on first take before. He had that answer dialed up. No, man, I, I don't, I don't uh, watch first take much. He easily played but, like a top ten player in the postseason. Yeah, no question. So, yeah, I don't know. Sure. Like, are uh, you saying like are there ten players you'd rather have than Jimmy to start next season? Is that kind of where you're going with it, Eric? Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll run on that question. Do you would you would you take ten players before Jimmy to start next season on your team? Okay, so we're going to nah, look at the three out in L.A. Crack. You're going to take Kawhi, A.D., and LeBron. I'm going to take Harden. I'm gonna take Jokic. Yep. Curry for sure. Harden makes me think a bit, just because I don't really yep. love everything that he brings to the table. Sure, he's an unbelievable scorer, but Jimmy has a lot of intangibles that, that Harden doesn't have. I'd say they're pretty close to that same tier, to be honest with you. Okay, okay. How who, how many are you at right now? So you got LeBron, AD, Kawhi, Curry. You're gonna take Harden, I'm assuming, right? He has Jokic in there, so Jokic. that's five. I have Jokic okay, in there. I'm not Harden. No, I don't know. It's a toss up for me. Okay, They're we'll leave five. We'll come back to him. Luka Doncic, I'm throwing in there. Yeah, I would yeah. take He's him. In the discussion. Over. Yeah, over. I would okay, take Giannis. What about, uh, Giannis. Okay, so that's seven. I would take Jason Tatum. Ooh, see there like, I would. I, I think Tate, like if you're saying next season, I think Tatum is gonna keep yeah. taking steps forward. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, that's, I know yeah, what you mean, but, but I don't uh, think he's going to be on the Jimmy level yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, Jimmy. I don't Butler's think he's there defense yet. Defense is really, really good. Man, that sets him apart from. I'm taking Damian Lillard ahead of him. I'm still taking Dame Dollars ahead of him. Yeah, Dame Dollars got ice in his veins, so, so that, that would that'd be, be eight, eight guys. I would put Jimmy in there at nine or ten for sure. Okay, I would what take about this one? This is a wild one. Chris Paul, like you know how he no, can work with the young guys. No, you saw what he did. On. He led them this year. I don't know. He's, Discussion. Nah, Look, I nah, like what CP3 did with the Thunder this year, but that, that's a he'd stretch. Be that, uh, he'd be in the 11 to 20. Okay. He'd be in the so 11 at, to 20. We're generally at eight right now. I'd put Jimmy at nine or 10. I, I just think, look. He's Jimmy a was unbelievable, player. but sometimes you kind of get caught up in the recency bias. Tatum was pretty unbelievable during that postseason run there for the Celts. But Not what as about a, uh, as a defender as Jimmy, though? Jimmy's got it on both ends, man. What about someone like Embiid, another guy in the East? If I'm taking a guy uh, for a year, like, are you? So here's here's another question: Are you taking a guy for one season, or are you taking him for like your franchise going forward? Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, ah. Franchise going forward, I would probably take Butler. How old is he? Uh, He's Embiid. like 28, 27. Embiid has some injury issues, though. They make you, kinda, yeah, they make you a little squeamish. I, I wouldn't, if I I'm a GM, I don't really want to commit a lot of long-term money to Embiid. Okay, yeah, what about plus, like I don't ben think he's Simmons. No. That guy can't. No. no. He's not on no, that team. I wouldn't either. No, I wouldn't take, even for his potential, I'm, I'm taking Jimmy as my franchise guy. Yeah, so. Here's one. Devin Booker. Uh, there's no, I'm, nah, I'm man. he's a filthy, he's a filthy okay. scorer, but can't do it on defense, man. Bradley Beal. Oh, you dirtbag. Uh, sorry. I'm taking uh Jimmy buckets, but I would take Bradley Beal ahead of Bucker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get a Bradley Beal jersey. I think just to wear it on the show. Okay, guys, it's time now to send it over to an interview with Chucky Slick, presented to you by Player Golf. While Eric is thinking about buying a Bradley Beal jersey, you should all be thinking about buying a Player Golf hoodie. With the golf courses in Saskatchewan closing right away and winter coming, there's not a better time to wear a bunny hug. And hey, Player Golf's got a lot of them. Head to playergolf.com, do some shopping, keep golf on the top of your mind as we head into November here. And hey, once you pick out a hoodie... Throw down that Prairie 20 promo code to let player know we sent you. That's Prairie 20 for 20% off your order today. Now, time for the legend himself, Chucky Slick. Welcome to the Prairie Perspective Podcast, an absolute legend. The man behind living the dream and now a pro rollerblade hockey player over in Africa, Chucky Slick. Thanks for taking the time. What's going on, man? Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. Carter, Eric, and Matt. What's up, boys? <laughs> Not a lot. Just holding it down in Saskatoon. Have you ever been up to uh, Canada? Is that in, I'm assuming Saskatoon is in Saskatchewan? Yes, Correct, sir. Yeah. Uh, no, I've never been up there. I've been up to Canada a few times, but never made it to like that area, unfortunately. Uh, there's not much to see here anyway. It's not uh, usually a place people uh, tend to come visit anyway. So. Well, you guys seem like pretty cool guys. Maybe I would want to come see you guys. <laughs> exactly. Fuck yeah. <laughs> what do you kind of know you about Saskatoon? I know like uh, we've kind of mentioned to some people we're having you on and they're like, no fucking way. Chucky Slick, that is easily the sickest guest you've got. So like you're a bit of a legend up here. Hey, what's up to all my friends in uh, Saskatoon, (laughs) Saskatchewan, all over. (laughs) Fuck with you guys. (laughs) (laughs) 
So maybe like, uh, just kind of update the people, like what's kind of new in your life. What are you doing? Um, well, I've been pretty busy lately. Like just moved, um, down here to this like Island and just been like getting my apartment situated and like meeting all the locals in the neighborhood and just getting my feet wet down here pretty much. So just for awesome. those, I saw on your, I saw on your Insta, you just signed a new contract uh, to play roller inline hockey, right down there. I yeah. uh, tried, I tried to look into it, but it was all in, uh, I'm assuming Spanish, so I couldn't, uh, couldn't dig too far. So I was wondering if you could uh, kind of break that down, your new contract, uh, where you're playing. Um, so I'm playing in Gran Canaria. Um, it's in, it's the big island of the Canary Islands. Maybe you've heard of the Canary Islands. Um, it's part of Spain, but it's like next to Africa. Like, you know, it's kind of like, what, <laughs> just think of like what Hawaii is to the States, you know, okay. it's like, it's like really far away, but it's like land that's, I don't know, Spain conquered back in the day or whatever. So it, it is Spain. It's, they speak Spanish here, but it's looks like fucking Africa. The weather's always like shirt off every day, never changes, never gets cold. And there's straight like sand dunes here, like Egypt, Sahara Desert type stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's called Gran Canaria, little Spanish island. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty fucking rad. I saw it's pretty close to a bees. There must be some pretty fine, uh, pretty fine ladies around those areas, eh? Uh, well, not anymore. The, the last island I was living on for the last three years was called Mallorca, and that was right next to Ibiza. Um, th there's two chains of violence in Spain and the other one where I spent my past three years. Yeah. That was like a piece. was just a hop over and it's pretty unreal place. Yeah. What was uh quarantine like over there? I heard that you had to fake having a dog to get out of the house there. Uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty weird. Like, you know, I came to like Italy first and then it hit Spain and Spain and Italy were like the two hardest hit places in Europe. They actually turned an ice hockey rink in Madrid into a fucking morgue. Um, yeah, like it was it was actually like pretty crazy. And like this was back in, you know, March when nobody in the world really had like any information. So like my ass was like, you know, when I went outside to go to the supermarket, I was like, yeah, maybe I'm going to die today. You know, like it was kind of scary. Like I didn't know what. what no one really knew what, what it was at the time. And I was kind of alone in my flat, you know, like no friends or family. And like Spain did like a really strict, like military style lockdown. And yeah, we couldn't leave for shit just for groceries once a day. And if you had a pet, uh, you could take it on a walk. So I was like, fucking looking all over, trying to buy a dog. <laughs> and then I realized like okay that's a fucking terrible idea because <laughs> I'm gonna get attached to the little guy you know it's like that's that's not like you don't just buy a dog for quarantine and like kick it to the curb after the quarantine's over you know like you know I have a fucking soul I'm not you know like if I bought a dog I would have to for sure like you know take care of it for a long time so I ended up just like rolling up a small rug and putting on a skateboard and like drawing a face <laughs> on it, on it, and tied a hockey lace to the front of the skateboard and just fucking wheeled around the block. And his name was Kevin. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, I think I think the video is somewhere on my Instagram. I'll have to go check that out. Yeah, 
no issues with it. Kevin got yeah, the job done. Did it work? Yeah, I mean, he got the job done. I, I just really stayed close to my house, like just the immediate block, <laughs> and that was it. Like, if I got any closer to the main road and, like, a police officer saw me, like, they would have probably arrested me. There was a dude There was, there was a dude that uh, made the news. He, he he took his fish on a walk. Like, he carried around his fishbowl. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. People were really desperate to get outside here. It was, like, super... It wasn't like America. People were just like, fuck this shit. This is a free country. I do what I want. Like, people were just kind of going out, like, that wasn't a thing here. It's like we were dead ass trapped inside. <laughs> Should we bring it back a little bit now to uh, your younger days playing hockey? I know you're a pretty big stud in uh, California and Virginia where you grew up. But then back in 2008, you landed a scholarship to play a uh, top prep school in New England in the K-Way. Uh, and then you ended up getting uh, having some problems there and leaving. I wonder if you could uh, break that down for us. Yeah. I moved, to Cal- I moved to Virginia from California because of my father's job when I was like, I don't know, I don't remember, like 10. And then when I was 16, I was like playing, I was like playing ice hockey in like the local DC, Virginia area. And ended up going to KUA, prep school in New Hampshire, like pretty sick hockey. Like I wasn't really ready for it. I was just like mucking on the fourth line. It was the best hockey I ever seen in my life because I grew up you know, 10 minutes north of fucking Mexico playing on a concrete slab in the middle of a park. And we just had no boards, nets, nothing. And played in grocery store parking lots, all that shit. Then I moved to the East Coast. I was like 10 or 11. I started picking up ice hockey. And I picked it up very fast, but still, like when I arrived at prep school, like I had never played AAA or anything in my life. So like that was top level. So when I arrived there, I was like, oh, fuck. Everyone's like, yo, that guy that we're playing against, he just got drafted by the Rangers. His name is Chris Kreider. I was like, shit, like these guys are good. And yeah, it was fun. I was mucking like somewhere between the third and fourth line usually. And uh, yeah, I had a, you know, a couple months there. And then like in the middle of the season, like I fucked up and they sent me home. They're very strict there, you know, like they'll send your ass home for packing a lid. Is that what it was? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> but I was on my, let's just say I was on my last, my last straw, my, my last strike. I got in trouble for packing a lid. And then a couple months before that, I got in a fight. And so I was on pretty thin ice. Yeah. Third strike, you're out. Yeah, that's pretty much the policy there. Like, they don't, it's really strict. And I'm not that kind of person. Like, I had to watch, like, I had to, my roommate, like, had to teach me how to tie a tie and all this stuff. And after, like, a month, I couldn't do it. So I went to, like, Marshall's and bought a clip on. And I just rocked the clip on tie every day. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just all that formality just wasn't, wasn't really my thing. So I'm kind of glad I got kicked out. I got to kick it to 2011 when you dropped uh, the West Coast. You got your name, Chuck Slick. I just want to know where that video came from and, like, how, like, you decided to do a music video like that went viral. I think it's got, like, 4 million hits on YouTube. I want to know how you came up with that song. And, like, it, it went so viral, man. I remember being in 
bantam hockey when i was 15 in the dressing room and we were playing that song before we'd hit the ice it was literally uh, the song of saskatchewan growing up as a kid here when you're rolling through uh, the rinks that was what was banging that's so crazy for me to hear you know i've never got to like really experience any of that like love from like far away i've only heard like rumors and myths like oh you're a fucking legend here you're a legend here like really that's probably one of the first songs I had downloaded off my old iPod back in the day. It was legendary. Yeah, man. Yeah. You, were, you were definitely a legend in Saskatchewan. That's for sure. Yeah. I always wish I, like, would have uh, – I mean, I still can go up there, but I always wish in that moment I would have, like, put something together to, like, try to get up there. I mean, I did a show in Toronto once. That was really sick. That was, like, the fucking first time I felt that, like, that Canadian love. Like, oh, shit, all these people on the social media are real. Cause I got the messages and everyone like, yo, we fuck with you in Toronto, blah, blah. I'm like, that's yeah, not real. Cause in my everyday life, I was, you know, living in San Diego. No, it's not a hockey town. So no one gave a fuck about that video there, except my like immediate friends and family. And I was playing juniors in fucking New Mexico and Texas, <laughs> not hockey markets either. So like, I never really felt that. I mean, of course, like there were games, you know, people came up after the game and like took a picture or two, but it wasn't until I went to Toronto and, or I went to Vancouver once and it was like, I really, I got to feel that a little bit, but I always wish I made it up to like Alberta, Saskatchewan to see like how, who that impacted and how it reached. Cause I heard it was pretty legendary up there. I know there's an infamous story of kind of how you started uh, into rap. I heard, uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard you were playing an arcade game and eventually won an Eminem CD. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of when you started uh, your passion for rap. And that's what kind of took oh, it. Yeah. yeah, it's true. I was uh, at my local hockey rink, just being like a little rink rap. While my brothers were on the ice, I was just, you know, running around hitting the snack bar, playing games and shit. And I just like won this one little like machine where the thing spins around, you got to stop it on the red light. And I was like, bah! hit it. One Eminem CD. And I was like, what the fuck is this? You know, I was listening to like Guns N' Roses and ACDC at the time. And like, I kind of like was aware of him, but I was like so young. I didn't really know what was going on. And I listened to this dude. I put my headphones on. And I was just like, what the fuck? That was my first time like hearing bad words and all this crazy stuff. And that like sparked a fire in me. And I just started writing from that day. I wrote raps for like four years, but like poems, like without a beat or anything. I would just write on paper, trying to rhyme things. And then I started writing to the beach. And it was like a weird passion that just developed into something I never saw coming. And then I started freestyling at parties in high school. And then it just came to a point where I wanted to record. And I was like recording like mixtapes around my high school and stuff for like two or three years. And then I went to go play juniors and I was like, I'm going to bring this shit with me. Like it, it really helps me pass the time. So I was in New Mexico when I recorded living the dream. And, uh, I don't really know how I was just like thinking it'd be a good idea to make a song about hockey. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of like took a look around my, around me like there's no bullshit in that song whatsoever there's no bullshit in the video 
there ain't nothing in that video or song that was like planned to like get clicks or plays because I didn't even know what viral, this is before what I even really knew what viral was, right? So I really, I really love that video for just its authenticity. Like, I don't know, I just kind of, I wrote, I wrote lines about like what is, what I saw every day around me in the junior life. And I was like, I remember being on the bus on a road trip while writing the song and thinking like, yeah, like, this is a fucking crazy lifestyle for like a kid who's like 19 or 20. Like I'm on a fucking 14 hour bus ride right now from Texas to Kansas about to go, you know, have a crazy game in front of like 5,000 people, Southern people, you know, like how did I get here? Like, this is a, like I'm, I'm on a bus with like 30 beds, you know, it's like, what the fuck? So I thought it'd be cool to like, I don't know, make a song about, something where there's never been a song made about before, I guess. So I just did it and I played it for the boys a couple of times and they were like, dude, this is fucking crazy. We should make a video. <laughs> and I, had made, I had made like one or two videos before, um, just like for other songs. So like, I kind of knew what I was doing, but not really like super bootlegged, super ghetto. Like I, I knew just what, enough to like get by. That's why when you watch the video, you can see like my lip syncing is completely off. It's, uh, <laughs> pretty funny. I got um, yeah. to ask about your billet mom. Which one? Yeah, was she a cougar? <laughs> yeah, was she a cougar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she was hot. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like kind of being around the guys before games and blasting that song out before you came out? Um, we didn't, we didn't play it actually. I told them not to, I told them it made me feel weird. <laughs> Even to this day, you still don't play it in the room around the guys or what? Never to this day. I don't tell anyone that I even ever made that. I had a girlfriend for two years and she had no idea. <laughs> no way. That I, yeah. And then she found out and she was like, holy shit, my ex-boyfriend used to play this song all the time. I, I like to just, I don't know. It's in the past and like I don't really talk about it, but like my any team new team I play for, I try to see like, okay, how long can I go before they're like, <laughs> oh shit, you're that guy. You're not you're not Charles, you're Chucky. Yeah, they all fucking know, man. Like, dude, anywhere. I went to fucking Ecuador, like, you know, like down by Colombia last summer. Motherfuckers down there were like, holy shit, you're in Ecuador. We play hockey, come play with us. We heard that song. And I was like, what? Like, how did this go so far? So it's I I'm aware that like anyone who plays hockey like has heard it. Maybe they can't put a face to the song, but they've heard it, and it's usually a matter of time before someone finds out. It's usually like when I join a new team, and then once we all start getting acquainted, and they start maybe following me on social media, they start asking questions. You know, like why why are these people following you? And I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I try to lie about it as long as I can, and then it always comes to a point where they go like this. They're holding up the phone. Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and I'm like, fuck, man. Because I don't, I don't like, I, I don't like to be like treated any differently than any of the other boys. And unfortunately, that was kind of the case for some years. You know, like maybe some of the boys thought that I thought I was cooler than them or something, because all of a sudden I, you know, was pretty busy and doing a lot of shit with music, or. You know, like the boys on the teams, like 
you know, they're walking straight to the bus and I have like kids running up to me to take photos with them when I didn't do shit in the game. And there's other guys that put home three goals, but I was the one that people wanted to see. And it made me feel like that a lot of guys thought that I thought I was like above them and I hated that feeling so much. So I just, I kind of just, you know, I ran with it for a few years and did my best to like balance both worlds. But like, eventually I just got to a point where I was like, there's just too much ego involved. And I didn't want to be treated any different than any of the boys on my team around me. So, and I've always just been one of the boys, but that shit just blew up to such a big level where it was like, there was nothing I could do about it. Like people were going to think what they wanted to think. And I don't know. I, I just try to try to not talk about it anymore. And if someone brings it up, like, oh yeah, but I don't ever listen to it. If people play in the locker room, I'll be like, come on, man. Like I remember in juniors, the first time we ever played it in the locker. Well, before we made the video, like when I first recorded the song, I played it a couple of times. They're like, this is sick. Once we played the video and it started going viral, like overnight, yes, of course, we played it in the locker room like a few times, but then it got played out really fast. And then I was like, you know, even all the guys are like, right, no more, no more. And I never heard it again for the next three years of my junior career because I made that. I knew the following, the last two years after that song that, when I showed up in the locker room, like it was going to be a different feeling, you know, like people, like obviously every guy in that room, even if they haven't met me, they're going to be, you know, looking at me differently. Like, cause they know they've seen the fucking video. So I always try to like maintain my composure. And I always, I held, I held a meeting those last two years before the season starts. I said, all right, look, you know, all the rookies here, like I know, You've seen the fucking video, but like I don't want you to treat me any differently or act like I'm better than you. And also, please don't play the song in this locker room. That's all I ask. And that's what we did for two years. And then on my age out year, when we played our last fucking game, we lost in the playoffs. One of the guys asked, was like, yo, Chuck, can I play it? And I was like, this is the moment. And then they played it. They played it. And, you know, all the guys who were aging out that year were like, you know, obviously like in tears and stuff. And it was like pretty emotional moment. And it was really cool to hear it in that moment. With the success of uh, Living the Dream, I know uh, eventually Gong Show picked you up as an ambassador and you went on to create your own merch line called uh, Street Ducks. Um, what would you uh, make of all that following and success and then having those kind of big rewards pay off for you? Uh, yeah, that was cool with Gong Show. That was kind of like an accident. Like they did like a flow of the month thing for a while where they were just like every month they would nominate some kid in junior hockey with like the sickest flow or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, being like a fucking 18 year old fucking beauty, I was like, yeah. all about the flow, you know, and I submitted my picture the first fucking month that they held the contest. First ever Gong and Show the flow of the month? Yeah, there you go. So when I won the flow of the month, that was about, it was in September. The video came out in March. So I had won like six months prior and they send you a hat for winning. Like it's a gong show hat that says flow. And I was like, oh, cool. And I wore it every day, you know? And it just so happened when I was writing the song, I was just, on that rhyme scheme of like 
Da-na-na-na-na. So I was writing like, the rookies in the league, I'll be showing them up. And I was like, okay, what rhymes with showing them up, you know? My teeth and my nose are like broken and stuff. And I was like, okay, that's cool. No, no, flow of the month. Ah, gong show, flow of the, you know, and I put those pieces together. They didn't like ask me to put them in the song or nothing. I just did that randomly. And then I was randomly wearing that fucking hat on the night when I was shooting the fucking video. So they didn't know it, but they're about to get the marketing boost <laughs> of a lifetime. Of a lifetime for free. And I didn't know it, but obviously, like within a week, you know, once shit was blown up, they messaged me and were like, holy fuck. Like, what do you want? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you are God. And, you know, basically they're like, what's your fucking address? And I was like, uh, I asked my bill of parents, I'm like, what's the fucking address? <laughs> And they're like, all right, you got a care package coming your way. It was like two fat boxes, like full of like unlimited, unlimited amounts of like shirts and hats. And like, and then like, I just gave it to my whole team. I didn't didn't even, I kept like one shirt and like four four hats and I gave everything to my team. And then like shit just kept going up and up. And then Gong Show like reached me, reached out to me in a more professional way. And they're like, how about you just pick what you want? We'll give you store credit. And like in return, you know, I just kind of had to represent, we did like a little, you know, ambassador kind of contract or whatever. And um, I just had to like, you know, wear their stuff. And I didn't feel like I had to wear it in order to get the benefits. Like I like their shit. It was gong show. They were repping hockey. So yeah, they just asked to like me post pictures about it and shit. And so they gave me like a shitload of, store credit and yeah i I blew i remember one day i blew two thousand dollars in one fucking day on store credit for the boys i i just i told i went to every boy on my team and i was like what do you want look on the website and tell me what you want and then they all placed their orders and then i placed a big order and then it came and i just gave it to my whole squad it was sick so you mentioned when you're like 10 years old there in the grocery store parking lots playing roller hockey. When did you kind of realize like this is like a potential career? Honestly, I never thought it was a career. I was just doing the whole, I grew up playing like street hockey and like roller hockey on like concrete and shit. And I went to like one like legit tournament with like a real floor growing up. And But I moved to the East Coast and quickly realized ice hockey was was the was the way it was the wave and so uh you know my father got me involved in ice hockey and the local shit and I was doing pretty well and once you get to that age where you're like 14 15 and if you're like doing well you know you have to start like making moves you know with the help of your parents like they you know my dad was like yeah like you know I know you're young but you got to start thinking about your hockey career you know, what do you want in juniors and prep school? Like you have the talent and you should, you should really think about it. And when you're 14, that's like, what? You want me to leave home? <laughs> like you're still on, you're still on mom's nipples at that. It feels like you're so young, you know, that's what's so crazy about the hockey world, you know, like as hockey players, we all sacrifice like so much shit that I feel like not many other people or careers or life paths sacrifice like the shit we do. And I don't know, it just, it just got to a point where, um, I don't know, I felt comfortable leaving home. And um, 
I don't know. I've been on the journey for a while now, and I guess I wouldn't trade it for anything. How did you make the like the flip from ice hockey? Obviously, you played ice hockey for junior, and then now you're playing inline roller hockey. How how did that like? Uh, okay, I see. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like after you know the whole prep school thing ended, and then I went into juniors, and I was doing the whole junior thing, and juniors trying to get scouted to play like college or whatever, or maybe whatever, finish juniors and sign a pro minor pro contract. That finished in my age out year in Corpus Christi, Texas. And um, that was the year I was like getting phone calls from, from some schools, but didn't have any full rides. And my parents didn't have the money to cover it. So for me, it was like get a full ride scholarly or like maybe 80% scholarly, 75. And then like the rest, you know, so if say it's like 30 grand or 40 grand to go to the school, if you have 75% scholarly, like, you know, the rest of the money, like maybe my parents and like my grandma could swing it. But if it, if it, the only, I didn't get anything, man, I got like 25% offers and then like a, a bunch of D3 offers. Um, and D3, you got to pay, you know, you got to pay for that. There's no scholars in D3. So fuck, I played my last game and I was like, fuck, like, I can't go to any of these D3 schools. The D1 schools are too expensive. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I was like thinking this was the end of the road at juniors. And then I got a call one day from my agent. Well, he was my old assistant coach. He became like an agent for Europe. And he was like, would you like to go play in Europe? And then I landed in Sweden. And then I ended up doing the the ice hockey thing and, and the pros in Europe for three years and and then i came back to america and had a little stint in the fucking sp um but i was just getting really worn out on fucking ice hockey dude i went to the czech republic and that was a fucking really gnarly experience um just really hard to adapt to that culture and just being like an outsider there i just felt super alone and kind of depressed and I came back from that season and like was just reevaluating everything in my fucking life in the summertime. And I was like, I do not want to go back to Czech Republic. That was some, it's like a really cool country to visit and great culture. But if you're an outsider and don't speak the language, it's fucking tough. And I had the worst year of my hockey career there. Like I was just depressed, didn't even care. I wasn't having fun anymore. And the next season started and I was still in San Diego. I didn't have, I didn't go back to Czech. They wanted me to come back. I, I just didn't go back. And I was just like, am I done? And October came around, November came around. And I was just like, maybe I'm taking a year off from hockey. And then uh, I really missed it. And I hit up my boy who was from California that plays roller hockey here in Spain. And I had heard rumors about him playing over here and like, whatever. And I was just like, yo, what's good with that league over there in Spain? Roller hockey. Like they pay money? He's like, yeah, it's like, you got like a car, an apartment, everything. He's like, yeah. I was like, yo, can you get me in there? Like, I, I play roller hockey in the summers. I grew up playing. I can, it's a different game for sure, but I can play. That's what my roots were for all hockey. It was I started with rollers, so I felt really comfortable. And uh, he's like, it's the middle of the season right now. It's pretty, pretty tough. You know, there's only four teams in this league that can even afford foreign players and you know they're all full right now but I'll, I'll call you if something happens 
sure enough, like three weeks later, two players from Finland got fired from the team where I'm actually at right now in the Canary Islands. And he's like, yo, two spots just opened up and they're looking for players ASAP. Would you be down to move to the Canary Islands? And I was like, I'm in. I just, I flew out here, played just the second half of the season. They didn't make playoffs that year. And then it was really fun. And then I went home for summer and I was like, I'm going to go back to ice hockey. I started thinking a lot. I was like, dude, that was so sick. Like, just like, I don't know, playing hockey and not worrying about people trying to kill you, like in ice hockey, number one. Number two, I had like really bad groin problems in ice hockey. Bro, hockey, you don't get that because it's not as tough on your body. And uh, so I ended up just being like, fuck it. I'm fucking done with ice hockey. And uh, came back out for round two, signed with a different team. And I was with that team the last three years. I've just been out here ever since. It's going on year four in Spain right now. And I got everything I need out here, everything that I would be making or more out here than I would in minors and ice hockey around Europe. So, yeah, that's kind of how I ended up playing roller professionally, I guess. I never knew that was even a possibility, <laughs> to be honest. But it's like a weird underground world, but it, it exists. I got to ask you about uh, playing in the Western States back in the day. I heard it used to be pretty damn rowdy. Uh, what do you remember from playing in the Western, uh, Western down there in the West? The super dub. <laughs> what a league um i don't know i'm sure you could relate it to like some fucking junior leagues that you guys got up there in saskatchewan like probably the junior b they used to call it jungle b up here they used to just yeah jungle place. b like i heard i heard crazy stories about the jungle b in canada no way what'd you hear just reckless yeah, not, nothing that i could remember you know yeah. like on point but you know, from players that played on my teams and juniors, they would be like, maybe they played a season in the jungle or like one of their best friends did. And like the stories get passed along on the roadies. And the jungle is pretty wild, eh? I used to play there for probably three years. And then oh, wow. uh, when, I when I played, it wasn't too bad. But I know back in like early 2000s, I always heard stories because we had a manager on the team who's probably been there for 30 years. And yeah, oh, it, it was pretty fucking reckless from what I hear. Yeah, um, that's what I heard too. Uh, yeah, the Western States was, yeah, same shit. You know, it was a fucking, it wasn't called, we called it the Super Dub because right above, you know, California and Oregon and Washington was the Dub, you know, in Canada. Yeah. We called it the Super Dub. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it was just probably the same as the jungle up there. Like, you know, not great hockey but not like bad like obviously everyone can skate and stuff um but yeah there's just a lot of goons a lot of dirty 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 hits you know couple fights every game you could expect two or three fights at least once a month you could expect some kind of you know line brawl or whatever uh yeah it's fucking greasy <laughs> it a greasy fucking league i don't know i can't speak for it now but um, I feel like I played at the very tail end before all hockey like globally started changing and giving out crazy penalties for fighting now. I, I heard the queue just announced 15 minutes for fighting. 
Yeah, it um, sounds like the O's like close behind too. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Only, I've heard it in the past couple of years. It's like ten minutes now, or in the past five years, what has it been? Is it ten minutes for fighting, like in most leagues, or is it still five? In the jungle, you get tossed out if you fight, but you're only allowed two fights a year now. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know it's all been changing. I think I've caught the very tail end of the the black and blue era of just goon life. Um, because I I know starting from like 2015, it started to get like a lot different. But I was in juniors 2009 through 2012, 2013 maybe. And yeah, that, that last year, you could see things changing. Like that last, my last year of juniors, they made a rule where you had to fight with your helmet on. If it fell off during the fight, fine. But you could not take your helmet off and then square up. Um, but that was one of the best parts of the early years. It was like guys would fucking take their bucky off and do a sick fucking spin on the ice and throw their bucky on the ice and make it spin. It was fucking wild. But yeah. Then the game, you can't take your own bucket off. Everyone took each other's bucket off, and then uh, I just kept her going. Yeah, it was the classic like. You just unstrap before the fight, so you just know both buckies are going to fall. <laughs> Do you got a story that kind of st- stands out from your time o- time there? Is there something that you kind of uh, remember that you're like, holy shit, that was crazy? From the Superdub? Yeah. Mm. Um, I remember playing in Fresno, which is California. And they had like packed house, six thousand fans because they were like the classic former pro team that folded and bought out by a junior program, and the fans didn't know any difference between juniors and pros, so the fans still came. And they had a fucking packed house, like a lot of fans. And I remember going there for a playoff game and just being like so fucking rowdy, like they had like four enforcers. We had like four enforcers and like, it wasn't even about hockey. It was just about who could beat each other's ass the whole game. And like, I'm like five foot 10, like a speedy guy. Like that's not my game, but I remember being like terrified. Cause it was my first year of juniors. And like, we had a kid on our team named Clay. I think his name was Clay, Clay Blankenship. The biggest goon in the league was J.R. Lafferty. <laughs> Fucking J.R. Lafferty was, like, the best fighter. I wouldn't say he was a goon because he was a pretty good player, too. Um, but he was, like, the classic, like, solid player, like, enforcer role. And everyone was terrified of this dude. He was, like, huge. Like, I mean, I could be wrong. But from my memory, it feels like he was, like, 6'4", um, which is in meters. I don't know how much that is. But he was big. And our smallest dude squared up with him and fucking one punched him. Oh. <laughs> and just fucking didn't knock him out, but he fucking hit him right in the jaw and he dropped in front of their home barn. It was so sick. I know that's a pretty fucking lame story, but it's the only thing I remember. <laughs> no, that's pretty good. I don't remember it. Like, yeah, that was 2009, man. I just, I got hit in the head a lot in juniors. I think my memory sucks. Yeah, I, I know. I know your uh, Insta. You show uh, a lot of your old pictures of getting beat up. Of the, well, not really beat up, but uh, getting the stitches to the face, losing teeth, and all that stuff. What's the worst one? What's the worst damage you've had? 
Uh, yeah, that was back in juniors when, like I said, it was the black and blue era. It was so normal to play a game and cut your fucking face open and get stitches. So I would always like post pictures of just getting fucked up. It doesn't happen outside of, you know, I was playing the south of the NA. So it was like that shit was always happening. And since then, it's like pretty rare. But um, the worst one for sure was my nose, my breaking my nose with a slap shot. I was screening the goalie. And the picture on my Instagram is like, I think I'm like sitting there and I have like a white towel and there's just like blood covering the whole white towel and my nose is so jacked. Um, yeah, it was just a D to D pass. And it was like D to D one timer. We were practicing power play, and I always played the net front and got the power play because obviously I didn't care about my life. So they always put me in front of the fucking net because they were like, Yeah, I mean, usually you have like a big body in front of the net, you know, but. They always put my ass in front of the net because I was like really scrappy and I didn't care if I got hugged to my fucking neck or something. So I don't know. I was just screening the goalie on my DD one timer, and right when the puck went off, I did not know where the puck was. I was on the fucking ground, like, oh shit, that puck is hitting right square in my fucking nose. And I remember like just being on the ground for like five seconds and my eyes was just uh, it's like a fucking waterfall, you know, blood. And yeah, that was fucking gnarly. And then I just bled it, you know, just stopped the bleeding and that was it. And they're like, We need to take you to the fucking hospital or whatever to like fix your nose. And I was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> Pretty far cold there. Exactly. And I was like, yeah, uh, the first break wasn't so chill, so I'm not down to do that a second time. I took a hard look in the mirror, and I was like, yeah, it's not that crooked. I'll, I'll, I'll fucking live to see another day. <laughs> and I just carried carried on with my life. Now I looking back, I'm like, yeah, I probably should have done that in the moment. <laughs> I don't know. You can probably see how fucked up it is. It's not it's horrible. Like Looks like it's, it's got terrible. a story to tell. Pretty decent yeah, doctor, not, eh? Yeah, it's not terrible. So I'm I'm here I'm fine, but yeah that, that shit hurt. A couple other sticks and shit to the face, but that was the craziest one. I know uh, recently you've become a bit of a blogger, uh, and I saw one of your posts. Uh, you went to a Beezer with only rollerblades. I wonder if you could uh, talk to us about that. Um. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I tried to make a vlog, but I did it with my fucking cell phone, and I filmed everything like. Uh, vertical, which is not okay for YouTube, but I uploaded it anyway. So it's like the classic skinny video with the two black bars on the side, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking amateur. But no, I, I don't know. I, w I went alone, so I was like trying to entertain myself. So I was like, I'm just going to film a bunch of shit, try to put together a cool video with music at the end. But yeah, um, I just uh, took a boat from Mallorca, where I was living the past three years, to Ibiza with my rollerblades and a backpack. And in my backpack, 
I had this bad boy, which is my hammock. And I didn't really have any plans. I didn't have any return ticket. I just kind of, uh, you know, it was kind of, <coughs> fuck, these peanuts just fucked me up. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, just was basically ripping around on blades. And if there was like a big hill, I was hitchhiking. I met a shitload of people hitchhiking. And, you know, I just go try to meet people and on the beach, like drinking some beers and, Every day was just like, I don't know, just kind of blading around and bombing hills and hitchhiking and having some beers. And then when the sun was going down, I'd find my place in the trees and just fucking call it a night. <laughs> That's awesome. That's unreal. Does uh, Abiza live up to the hype? Well, it's during COVID, you know? Oh, yeah, true. But I'd say it was the most lit place possible on earth during COVID. There's still a bunch of people there like looking for that Ibiza, you know, free loving party vibe. The discos were closed, you know, but the bars were open. And in Spain, like bars and restaurants are still open, but it's like you have to be seated, you know. Like, you have to sit at your fucking table. There's no, like, getting up and mingling with other people. So you kind of just got to show up with a group. But the beach is, is a free-for-all. So, like, you don't have to wear a mask at the beach. And so everyone was just partying pretty hard on the fucking beaches. And it was pretty nice. But I, I don't think it's, like, famous Ibiza that you probably have heard of. It yeah, wasn't. The stories of. There wasn't as much tourists, you know, because travel restrictions and stuff. But it was pretty sweet. <laughs> I got to ask about uh, Spit and Chicklets. We're pretty big fans of them. And you've kind of said that you want to get on there. And Biz uh, shot you a reply a while back saying he'd love to come out and get your story. I got to ask if uh, he's followed up with you or if you guys have made any plans at all. Uh, Not really. I, I, don't, I don't know what's up with that. I think we reached out like once. And they were like, yeah, we, we needed to do a piece on you when I come to California next. I told Biz, I was like, I don't live there anymore. If you want to come out to Spain and rip up pizza with me, you're welcome. And uh, that was pretty much it. Um, I haven't heard back from them. It's been a couple months, so I don't think they want me to go on there. <laughs> Surprised Biz doesn't want to come rip up a pizza with you. I feel like that would be a bloody riot. Oh, yeah. I mean, when the time is right, when he wants to come, he's he's always welcome. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I don't fit the like the criteria of their like podcast. You know, like pretty much every guest is like in the NHL. Their losses you know? again. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think like I've never listened to their podcast before, but I've seen videos on youtube and you know i follow biz on instagram so whenever he reposts about it i get to like you know i'll see like who they have on or whatever it's usually like nhl players so maybe that's like just what their avenue is like interviewing guys in the show but i don't know i think they i mean they're already pretty big i guess um but you could always be bigger i feel like there's a lot of interesting people in the hockey world uh that they're not taking advantage of like you know like 
they could get women on there you know like imagine like getting chicks from like the canada's olympic team exactly i, I don't know slick could be maybe, on there maybe, yeah for sure maybe i'm wrong maybe there is like professional women hockey players on there but i feel like it's always just like dudes from the show i was like maybe they could like you know they could get guys from college girls from college you know get girls listening to their podcast you know like girls that play for their countries in the olympics and then they can get top level roller hockey players and then they could be getting guys that play in the khl or the shl or or minor leagues in europe and they could be getting people that never even play pro hockey but they have an impact on the hockey community in some way you know like yo this guy is the top designer for fucking bauer skates like he literally designs the mold he's been doing his whole life in this little fucking dusty workshop like um yeah i feel like there's a lot of interesting people in the hockey world and it's so in the hockey world is so much deeper than the nhl of course we all know the nhl is the pinnacle but that fucking like it's like an iceberg right and the iceberg is the tip above the water and that's the show but the roots man like you talk about there's the jungle in saskatchewan there's for sure some guy who played in the jungle his whole career and had like 800 penalty minutes in one season get that guy on the podcast like he's probably got some great stories if they open up to like other characters in the hockey world i think that'd be pretty smart and if they do ever start doing that one day yeah i mean if they invite me i don't feel like i fit their mold but they ever want to have me on there i got some i got some stories for sure (laughs) well their loss is is our gain as i said chucky really appreciate you taking the time for us it was awesome yeah you guys are really cool thanks for uh getting me up i'm surprised you guys got me on here (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome thanks for taking the time yeah Yeah, okay boys on last episode we uh free agency predictions the big fish came Today, Alex Petrolangelo signing seven years, $61.6 million in Vegas. There was kind of only the one destination left for him after Krug went to St. Louis, kind of took his money. Toronto went in a different direction, signing TJ Brody. Chetty, what did you make of Petro joining the Golden Knights? I think it's a good move. I think that that's too much money um, for Petrolangelo. Okay, but you just said it's think- a good move, and you just said it's too much money. <laughs> so, like, let's well, let's hear a take here. Well, it's a good it's a good move for Alex Petrangelo. I mean, he got what he was looking for. I think that he's being slightly overpaid, and I think seven years is too many years to give a guy like that. I think he's going to be a stud for about four more years, and then you'll slowly start to see him decrease in minutes played and points and stuff like that. I also wasn't happy that Nate Schmidt just got shipped out for a third round pick or whatever. Like, I think he's worth more than that, but uh, Kelly McCrimmon had to free up some cap space in order to afford Alex Petrolangelo. So that's the kind of sacrifices you got to make. The free agency has kind of shown us though, that teams aren't really hesitant to using buyouts, right? I think they kind of want to, they live with those types of deals when they get to that fifth, sixth, seventh year, like a Henrik Lundqvist, like a Cal Turris, they'll, you're, yep. it's just the price you're going to pay to get a guy who's in their prime, like Petrolangelo, for those first four years of the deal. And he could really be the X factor that pushes them over the top, right? They've been kind of in the mix here the past couple of years for cups and fell short. 
Yeah. McCurman must feel that no, he's. I, I agree. He's a proven winner. He uh, obviously has a Stanley Cup ring, being the captain of the St. Louis Blues. So I uh, hope he brings in some good energy and takes them to that next level, takes them to that Stanley Cup championship. Uh, yeah, I think it's a hell of a move um, over by the Vegas organization. They're bringing in Petrolangelo. The guy is obviously on the top ranks of all D-men in this league now. And a 30-year-old veteran, he brings that um, that experience to a Vegas team that, I mean, like, their D-line their D is, for the most part, is pretty young. A uh, little, little bit unexperienced, I guess, taking out the last two seasons here with playoff playoff runs and all that. And I think he's a hell of a signing. Like, the guy put up – he was just over 50 points this year. So, I think he really bolsters that blue line. And uh, Well, the Petro signing didn't really shock me. One that did yesterday was Taylor Hall. Not necessarily the, the term. Everybody kind of suspected that he was going to look at a one one or two-year deal and kind of let the market reset. A lot of uncertainty right now, but it was the team. Who really thought Buffalo Sabres were in the mix? Obviously, he had the connection with Ralph Kruger from their time in Edmonton. But, I mean, Buffalo? Like, come on. Eric, what did you think about that? I thought it was a very stupid move off the hop. But the more I kind of thought about it and read into it, I know the salary cap's kind of staying the change for next year. So on the half of Hall, on the half of Hall, I think it was kind of a smart move. I can um, basically work this as a contract year. I can go out there and show what I can do in Buffalo, and become a free agent again, and hopefully make some more money in a upcoming season where the cap changes and the potential for me to make a couple extra million dollars would be pretty huge. Uh, a little confused with it, what he said today in the media. He said, uh, "Really looking forward to potentially calling Buffalo home down the line and um, long term with the Buffalo Sabres organization." Well, obviously, so he's going to say that. He's not just going to be yes. like, this is only a one-year thing. Like, yes. he's going to want to leave them open for the long-term deal. Yes. I was going to say that's a bit of a smoke screen right now. But uh, I think he's just playing as a contract year. I th- actually, the more I think about it, the more of a kind of smart move it is on his behalf. I know Buffalo ain't doing shit. But uh, actually, uh, I kind of like it for Taylor Hall. The one-year deal, it makes sense. I'm not disagreeing it's, with that. Yeah. It's just why Buffalo. Yeah. You, you could have done that in... Colorado well maybe no other team wanted to just give him a one-year deal I don't I don't know why wouldn't well, a team want to do a one-year deal <laughs> no the thing that jumped out to me was the eight million bucks like that is a good chunk of change for one year and the term betting on myself comes into play heavily there in my opinion like he's betting on himself to put up 80 plus points in this next season and then getting that massive deal that he's looking for getting a Petrangelo sized deal like then you get into those long-term talks. Maybe Edmonton frees up some cap space in the cut in this season, and maybe can are able to sign him to a long-term deal. I mean, I heard he had interest in going back there, but for Taylor Hall, this is an unbelievable deal. I think him and Jack Eichel can create a little magic. I think that uh, the Buffalo Sabers will not be that much better with him, but I hope Taylor Hall can prove himself get 80 plus points and then get himself a fat contract somewhere else next year. I don't really know if you can call it an unbelievable deal. There isn't For a lot Taylor of long-term Hall. security there. You got one year. Look at what yeah, happened to Dak Prescott on a one-year deal, Chetty. That is so offside. Those are two different sports. <laughs> the franchise tag too. It's a little bit different. We can transfer over to the, some goalies here. A couple Western Conference Canadian teams making some moves, signing some tendies to fill some spots. I called this one Jacob Markstrom to the Flames. Six years, $36 million, $6 million a year. Eric, what do you think about Calgary bolstering their goaltender position? They struggled down the stretch there with Cam Talbot. This guy should shore that up. 
Yeah, no, I like the move for Calgary. It's a smart move. I know this year they made a bit of a playoff run, but I think this guy is going to take them, take them just that extra step, you know, make them a better playoff team here and give them a chance to run for a cup in the next coming years. Um, he's a good young Tandy. I know he showed himself, obviously, with uh, the Canucks organization. And yeah, I think it's a hell of a move by Calgary. It's a good deal for now. A lot of teams didn't want to go six years with him. I know I talked to Brett Matlock, a uh, noted Vancouver fan, and he wasn't too thrilled with the proposition of signing Markstrom for a long-term deal. And I just did double check. He's 30 years old. So I guess Vancouver, they bring in Braden Holpe. Like I was just going to mention, two years, 8.6 million. They let him and Thatcher kind of run that one too. And then in two years time, you got to feel the Demko's probably going to be that guy from what we've seen in that series against Vegas when he basically single-handedly carried them to seven before ultimately falling short. But Chetty, what do you think? I like, no, I liked, uh, I like the Holpe signing, but you know, after not re-signing Markstrom, I just kind of, I just kind of thought they were going to be Thatcher Demko, right? Like I just thought that was going to be their guy moving forward. Now they've signed Holpe to two year, 8.6. Well, you're not going to have a guy making over four mil, most likely being your backup goalie. So he's put in the role of a starter now for the next two seasons. So I guess Thatcher Demko is backup. But I mean, once again, proven winner. He's won a Stanley Cup. I don't hate that move. And I hope, well, obviously he's a Saskatchewan guy. So I hope Braden has an unbelievable season. I actually like the Canucks. I like how young they are. And they're, they were exciting to watch there in the bubble. That's for sure. See, I kind of disagree with you there. Combining two goalies for $5 million, both can play kind of seeing how important having two solid tendies is to a team. I like it. I think it's a better move than retaining Markstrom for sick. Holby was really shaky though last year. So you got to note that. No, that's what I mean. Like, I don't know. Like you, maybe you're right. Like the Islanders have shown two goalies, but those two goalies don't make over five mil together. I don't believe. Like, isn't I don't know why you're so to... flabbergasted for 5 million for two goalies. Markstrom's getting paid six a year. Would you not rather have Demko and Holtby at five than Markstrom for six? Like, look at what Carey Price is getting. He's getting paid $10 million. Yeah, well, that's Carey Price. Yeah. They're paying these two half that. Now, I do think the worst move of the attendees I've seen so far is that Matt Murray to Ottawa. Yeah, I know. I've never been, like, a big Matt Murray fan. I never thought he was ever, like, that spectacular. And the guy guaranteed want to be my franchise goalie. Uh, yeah, I was very surprised with him. Ottawa forking out $25 million for four years for that guy. Yeah, exactly. Like, like Matt Murray there, he's getting paid $6.25 million for the next four years. I get he's 26, and there's probably some good years to come, but he hasn't looked great the past yeah. couple of years either, right? No, I'm not a fan of that guy at all. Almost rather, like, with a team like Ottawa that's clearly young, clearly not doing anything the next couple of years, and clearly rebuilding, why not try some of your young guys in your organization and see what they can do before, instead of just forking out for a guy like this, you know? Matt Murray's only 26. Yeah, Matt young. Murray's pretty young for a goaltender. You got to see what you have there. You got to pay somebody, right? If you look at that team, they're pretty pretty bare yeah, wherever. They paid. just bought out Bobby, Bobby Ryan. They had to get to the floor. I don't know if you guys saw a report out of the Toronto Star from earlier this week. The NHL is eyeing a potential start to the 2020-21 season on Lake Louise with a little pond hockey. Uh, some obvious logistical issues to work through, but Eric, I'm curious uh, what your thoughts on that is. <laughs> I think this is a great... Uh, Batman must have fell asleep on, I don't know, maybe a few Bud Lights. Had a sweet dream. It was like, 
Lake Louise, outdoor rink, nice blue water. Let me see the fish swimming underneath, around by mountains. And then, uh, yeah, reality's got to kick in for Batman here. I think this is a fucking bonehead move. I don't know. I just don't see any logistical. I just don't get it. If I'm a player, yeah, it's cool to go shoot around and dick around and skate laps on ice you can see for miles on and mountains around you and this sea in the bottom. But uh, I just don't get how an NHL game's going to operate on this. They worded it like opening day. I saw in one of the articles. Are they talking about having more than one hockey game go on Lake Louise in a day? Yeah, there wasn't think- too much on that. I don't. I think you could only play one game, couldn't you? Well, Lake Louise is pretty big. I mean, you could get something up. That would be kind of sick. A little pond hockey, a little round robin tournament. You kind of hop around from rank to rank. Just a three on three tourney. Yeah, a little three on three tourney. Some good content for the league. <laughs> I don't know. I got a hunch that Batman probably just wants to take his date for a nice dinner at uh, Meg the Fairmont Stump in Meg. Meg oh, what's that? Oh, Eddie Meg Burger Pine Bar. Stump. Eddie Burger Bar. I don't know if that's in, really Batman's uh, speed. Uh, who knows? Burger, Maybe the guy just wants to strap on and do a couple circles. I don't know. Who knows? But uh, yeah, the guy's got to wake up from the dream. I think he's going crazy. And I think maybe, uh, who knows? Maybe Lake Louise is a potential landing spot for the next NHL franchise. <laughs> who the fuck knows with that guy? Time now to send it over to interview with Farhan Lalji of TSN, brought to you by Player Golf. Players had a couple more head covers pop up on their website after initially selling out. The Saski driver and fairway covers are back in the rotation. These beauties are right up our alley and they should be up yours too. If you guys don't snipe them soon, we might have to ourselves. We gave away one during our Insta giveaway this past month. And hey, if you weren't lucky enough to win that, the time is now, my friends. Take advantage and do some shopping while they're in stock. Use the Pray 20 promo code to let player know we sent you. That's Pray 20 for 20% off your order today. Now we're following. Joining us now on the Prairie Perspective Podcast, TSN's Vancouver Bureau reporter covering the Canucks, Lions, and Whitecaps out on the West Coast, Farhan Lalji. Farhan, thanks for taking the time. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. I kind of want to get right into Chase Claypool. I've been kind of watching him since he was a freshman at Notre Dame, and I like to think I've been on the Chase train longer than most, but you certainly have been aboard longer than I have. So for those that don't know, you're a high school football coach in British Columbia, so you're able to get some eyes on him from a very early age. Take me through your progression on what you view Chase as. Like, when were you sort of like, hey, this guy can play U sports, this guy could play NCAA or in the CFL? And like, was the NFL ever even on your radar? Not really. I mean, I think for me, number one, Chase played at Abbotsford High School, which is a double A program, and I coached at the triple A level. So we didn't coach against him. Uh, we just didn't play them while he was there, um, at least in the 11th and 12th grade. Now, I still knew who he was because he was a pretty exceptional dynamic player, but quite often, you know, just to be honest, you you see these players and you don't truly know how good they are because of the competition they're facing. And that's the case for any Canadian skill kid. Uh, You know, you, you just can't necessarily gauge what his speed and athleticism truly is because he doesn't need it at a division one level to excel in, in Canadian high school. That's just the reality. So you're just not sure if he's a fast kid running past some slow kids or if he actually is, that elite because when you really look at chase at at the double a level and at abbotsford i don't think he ever needed to get out of third gear right so i mean i knew he was a special player but you know and i knew he was going to be able to play u sports and, and dominate at the u sports level but there's a big gap between u sports and the ncaa so um when he went through his grade 11 year and then he wound up getting offers that spring and it, his recruiting really started to blow up then i started watching him with, with an even more um you know 
discerning eye. And uh, then that summer, he went to the opening, which is, you know, the big showcase for high school football players in America uh, down in Oregon. So uh, at the Nike facility. So he went there and um, I, I'm not sure if he'd already committed, but he certainly already had a bunch of division one offers and the, including Notre Dame by then. And, um, you know, he, he went down there with a lot of expectations and he delivered against all those top four star and five star us kids and then carried that into his senior year where it was just unbelievably dominant right so you know you, you weren't sure in the beginning by the time you got to grade 12 and you looked at him that much closer and, and saw him at the opening you kind of realized it was there you went down to south bend for an interview with him during uh, his senior year and obviously you've been familiar with him from a high school scene as you mentioned but what's it kind of been like uh for you on a personal level to see his development into the nfl here yeah, it's been pretty impressive. You know, the, you, you make assumptions about a kid until you get to know them. And, you know, I, I had a chance certainly to talk to um, his coaches. I know his coach at Abbotsford, Jay Fujimura, quite well. And he used to just gush about, you know, just what a team player he was, which a lot of people didn't assume that he was. And, and so, you know, he had a lot of the work ethic and intangibles and those traits, which he didn't, again, even from a work ethic standpoint, he probably was only working at 60% in BC because I was good enough. You know, he just had so much God-given ability. And then he got to Notre Dame. And, you know, to me, I was just really blown away by the fact he was able to play as a true freshman. You know, you think a Canadian kid, even with his kind of talent, would need to go down there and they would just need to adjust to the level of talent around you that you're playing with and against and the hype of playing in front of 80,000 people and all of that. Right. So the fact that he was able to go in as a true freshman and the stage wasn't too big and he was able to make an initial impact on special teams, which requires so much physicality that you just don't know if a BC kid can go and, and just uh, immediately step into and do, you know, I, I think that really impressed me. And when you talk to Chase now, he'll even admit the adjustment from high school to South Bend at Notre Dame was much greater than it was from going to Notre Dame to the NFL. And, but just to see him go, go through all those phases and grow to not just going to Notre Dame, but eventually becoming a leader. You know, when he was a senior, he was a real leader on that team and, and becoming an elite player. It, it was, it's pretty uh, remarkable to have watched all of that and been able to stay in contact during it. What do you project to see from uh, Chase for the remainder of the season? We've already known that he's got a limited of uh, snaps considering the injury to Deontay Johnson. Uh, or when he's healthy, he's got a limited number of snaps. So uh, what does that leave him uh, with for the rest of the season? And uh, when does Mike Tomlin and company maybe start to think, hey, this guy should be our uh, number two guy? Yeah, I think it's going to happen pretty quick. I think it'll happen before the season ends. You know, when you look at that game uh, against Philadelphia, and he scored the four touchdowns and had one called back. But to me, I, I think the biggest statement about what the Pittsburgh Steelers, their head coach and their quarterback think of Chase Claypool happened late on that final drive. They had a third down and they needed a completion to keep a drive alive in a one score game. You got man to man matchups across the board and Roethlisberger went to chase Claypool against Philadelphia's best corner. Like that more than anything tells you what these guys think of him and how he's ascending. Right. So he turned a lot of heads in training camp. He, you know, Ben noticed him right away in training camp. Uh, they like his work ethic. And I think that's the big thing, right. Is that Mike Tomlin's talked to him about being humble. They wanted to bring him along slowly. They knew what he could do. And now they're using him in more and more packages and more and more situations. I mean, I, I think you're going to see him be a, a 50 snap, a game guy within the next two weeks. So with that game last week, do you think it's uh, I guess, big confidence boost for him? Uh, ceilings quite high for the kid or, uh, and do you see it maybe uh, propelling his career and being that, uh, Calvin Johnson type player that he was compared to at the combine. 
Yeah, I mean, I think he's always had confidence. You know, I heard him this past week talk about, you know, going into training camp. It didn't blow him away. He wasn't as, as you know, challenged by it as he thought he might be. So he's certainly not a guy lacking for confidence, but is still managing to be humble and certainly in the right organization for that to continue. And, and he's got the work ethic. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that's going to happen. He's getting a lot of buzz around the league right now. I was just looking at some numbers. He's the seventh-ranked receiver, not just rookie receiver, but seventh-ranked receiver by pro football focus. So, yeah, and, you know, when you look at his game, one of the things that was pretty apparent is that his body and his skill set and his game is more suited to the NFL than it was to college. Because when you look at college offenses now, there's so much screen game and quick out and RPO. It's a lot different in the NFL. The NFL hasn't given into all of that. You still need to be able to run routes. You still need to be able to win one-on-one matchups. He's more than just a guy that can win contested balls. He can, he can run routes. He can beat elite defenders one-on-one. You know, he, he can do a lot of things. He's got a complete game, which quite often the college game doesn't require you to do. And he has that. So when you, you know, you mentioned Calvin Johnson and, you know, I, I look at DK Metcalf in Seattle, who's close by here. And I see that big bodied complete receiver and Chase Claypool fits that bill. There's a pair of receivers who have followed the same path as Chase being uh, John Mechie, who went for 181 yeah. yards, two touchdowns a couple weeks ago, and then a Jew, a Jew at Clemson. I was wondering how, how closely you follow the Canadian football players across the nation. Uh, extremely well. I mean, I definitely follow the guys in the NCAA quite quite a bit as far as the guys playing U sports. You know, I, I coach a lot of kids that, have, that are playing across the country. So I follow those guys. And, and for my draft requirements, because uh, I generally host the CFL draft, I try to pay attention uh, to who the top kids are. But, you know, I, I certainly have a, a bigger uh, focus on the Canadian kids that are playing in the NCAA. And, you know, you also um, have to put Josh Palmer in that equation from Tennessee, right? And both he and John Metchie are both from the Brampton, Ontario area. And you look at Josh this year, he's having a breakout year and he could put himself in the NFL discussion, right? I mean, a Jew, a Jew is, is still very, very raw. And uh, again, this guy's got big time talent. And, and I think they, that he really made an impression in training camp as well, but he's a guy that's getting just a small number of snaps right now in Clemson's situation. I don't think they view him as a factor this year, but he will certainly be one down the road. And again, that big bodied guy that once he kind of, uh, learns what to do with his body at, at the NCAA level. I think he's going to be a big time guy. And when you look at John Mechie, um, you know, he's a guy that did an extra year, did a prep year. So, and then enrolled early at Alabama. So he kind of went in there a little more ready. And when he got there that first year in spring, he was the MVP of their spring game. Right. So he, like he was really, really good right out of the gate. But that year he's dealing with Henry Ruggs, the, the third, and he's dealing with Jerry Judy, who are two guys that are going in the top half of the first round of the draft. So, tough for him to make an impression. And even this year, he's still technically their third receiver. Right. Um, so uh, I think uh, what he's been able to do early on has been great. And, you know, you talk about chase and how he's going to get increased opportunities as we go here. I think the same thing is going to happen to John Mechie. You know, I, I think he's going to get as many snaps as the other guys. He certainly got the trust in Mac Jones, their quarterback, because both of those guys were second teamers last year and developed a good friendship along with a good on-field rapport. So I think Mechie's going to be an absolute stud. I think uh, eventually uh, a Joe Joe will as well. And uh, and certainly Josh Palmer is putting himself in that NFL discussion this year. And then there's another one as well, Terrell Jana, who's, you know, kind of been a sneaky guy, uh, a British Columbia player that's playing in Virginia, you know, and he's a guy that's, uh, you know, 
the, among the top two receivers at Virginia. And last year, he was really elevating his stock and his numbers as well. So, uh, yeah, and I'm curious to see what happens with all of these guys because none of them are going to be charged a year of eligibility, right? Because the NCAA is basically giving them a freebie because of COVID. So, you know, you put another year onto some of these guys' resumes and, and their ability to polish themselves up. Wow, you know, we, we could see a bunch of guys in the NFL from Canada, which is nice to see because if you're a young kid growing up, unless you're in Saskatchewan guys, if you're a young kid growing up, you're not looking at the linemen, right? I mean, we've had guys that go to division one and get a chance as linemen. Canadian kids aren't looking at those kids. They want to see skill kids get their name and all the highlights. So that those are the guys that inspire, if you know what I'm saying. For sure. This might be a question for Jim Mullen, but I'm curious kind of who's your front runner right now for the Cornish award. I know we've kind of coming into the year, we all kind of assumed it would be Chuba Hubbard, but met right? There's a couple guys who've emerged. Yeah, you know, there really has been. And, uh, you know, I, look, I like what, uh, I still think Chuba Hubbard eventually is going to wind up, you know, he's not going to get 2,000 yards. He's got less games to begin with. But, I, you know, I think 1,500 yards for Chuba uh, is going to be right there. I mean, is he going to be in the Heisman discussion? I think he's going to need to put together a pretty good run the rest of the way here for that to happen. I think that's a long shot because his first two games are pretty ordinary. But I still think he's probably statistically the top candidate. And, and honestly, I think Eamon Ogbong Bamiga, the linebacker there, you know, you look at his numbers, you know, relative to, to what the defensive competition is. I'm really impressed with what Eamon has done because they don't play defense in the big 12, right? Like, you know, the, the folks in the East want to knock the pack 12. No, no, they don't play defense in the big 12. And even this year, there's, there's nine teams in the sec that have given up 35 points, at least in one game. So it's been such an offensive explosion across college football that when you get a guy like, Ogbong Bamiga, whose defense at Oklahoma State actually is playing lights out right now, and he's leading the charge. I know he got dinged up a little bit in that last game, but uh, I think he's a guy that could uh, turn some heads. Um, you know, I love what a day is doing, the safety at West Virginia. Uh, there's also the linebacker at Syracuse that's having a real good breakout uh, start to the season so far. Uh, and then I, I think Mechie's going to climb pretty quick as well into that discussion as his role increases at Alabama. But when the dust settles, I think statistically, it'll probably still be Chuba Hubbard. Thinking about Chuba Hubbard here, I know uh, he opted out of getting drafted last year. I was wondering uh, your thoughts on that. Do you think hindsight 2020, he uh, opts in for the draft last season? I think he made the right decision because really, if you look at his draft grade, he was around the fourth round, right? And, um, you know, that's not going to necessarily buy you a lot of equity when you, when you get drafted. Yeah, you're going to be on a team of first year, but, you know, very quickly by year three, they start trying to replace those guys. So for me, I think, uh, I think Chuba did the right thing. He needed to work on his strength. He needed to work on his pass blocking. He needed to work on his pass receiving. He needed to show he could be a complete back as opposed to kind of what he was labeled as in last year's draft process, you know, a fast kid, you know, a track kid transitioning to football and, you know, limited, right? I think he wanted to elevate himself into the top 50 of the draft and, and show that he had a complete game. Now, has he done that yet? Probably not, but that last performance certainly propelled him in the right direction. You know, the first two games, I was, I was just surprised at, just the lack of touches he was getting out of the backfield. Right. And, and just the lack of opportunities he was getting to show those other things, because you also had the backup quarterback in at Oklahoma state as well, because of the injury. So, uh, you know, now with Sanders back and them being able to do kind of what they're more comfortable doing, uh, you know, I, I think he's going to live up to what the NFL needed to see, but I think he's the, he made the right decision. I, you can't look at these things in terms of hindsight, you, you know, you've got to make the right decision for the here and now. And I think he did that. 
sticking with the position, but at a different level now. Uh, I'm sure you heard the news of Le'Veon. Obviously, the world kind of shocked a little yeah. bit by uh, him getting released there. Um, what do you make of that whole situation? Obviously, he's coming back healthy this week. Um, and then them potentially trying to trade him last season. You're starting to hear all these rumors. What did you make of that whole scene there in uh, New York? Yeah, you know, it's funny to me that that a place like Pittsburgh could have fostered two players like Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, right? And, you know, when you look at Pittsburgh and you look at Mike Tomlin, and, you know, it's no surprise they're gone, right? But the fact that they were able to ever have success and function in that environment re really surprised me. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I mean, you heard – Look, when he sat out and people will say, look, he's got to get paid. He made the right decision to sit out that season. I think that's a real indictment on a player. I think you play football. Uh, if, if that's what you do and that's your, your living. And, and we're not talking about COVID now, right? I mean, he was being offered a fair amount of money to begin with. I was disappointed that he sat out. I think that told you all you needed to hear. And then, you know, a week ago, he starts, you know, liking certain things on social media that criticize an organization that's already reeling right now. And he's being paid a big, big ticket. I, I think... The Jets did the right thing. And, and, you know, when you look at the running back position, and this is something Chuba's going to have to deal with when he gets into the NFL, this is a disposable position. It is a dime a dozen position. It's the least important position in the National Football League. When I say least important, I don't mean the position itself. I mean for a guy. Very few teams need the guy at the running back spot, right? I mean, you know, I get Ezekiel Elliott is elite, but you look at Todd Gurley, right? In the MVP conversation and two years later, he's on a different team and people are wondering how long he's going to last in the league because of an injury history. They will run through those guys so fast. No team is going to be successfully set up to pay a running back what the Jets were paying you know, and I, I don't have the guaranteed numbers in front of me, but I just think it's bad math. I think move on. There's a guy from the University of Washington. I'm a big Huskies fan, Miles Gaskin. So Miles Gaskin's a guy that, you know, like uh, undrafted free agent, even though he had a great career at Washington. Sorry, he was a late round pick and he had a great career at Washington, four straight thousand yard seasons. And he was a nobody going to the Dolphins. And now all of a sudden he's starting for that team. Chris Carson was a nobody in Seattle, and now he's a big-time running back. It happens at that position. You should not be paying Le'Veon Bell that kind of money and allowing him to be that kind of cancer. The Jets make very few good decisions. That was a good one. We'll switch topics over to the Vancouver Canucks here. Obviously, it's been a pretty busy summer for them. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of them moving on from Jacob Markstrom, who's been extremely steady for the past three seasons, to Britton Holpe? I, like, I personally believe that spending $5.3 between Holpe and Demko is a pretty – minor investment for what you're getting between the pipes for those two in a league where like the one a one B system kind of seems to be preferred, but can't ignore Holpe's struggles last season either. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I think it was the right decision on both Markstrom and Tanev for the Canucks because of where their salary cap is and where it's going, because you've got two players next year in Hughes and Pedersen who are probably going to make 10 million each. So they've got to look ahead. And part of this is the fact that they simply haven't looked ahead in previous years. They have overpaid and overturned on, you know, marginal bottom six players like, jo you know, uh, uh, Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel. And, you know, some of these guys are just paying too much money to. And so now they're in salary cap hell, right? Uh, you know, they made a bad decision on Louis Erickson at $6 million a year. This team's got $23 million invested in bottom six forwards and guys that aren't in the lineup. So it simply wasn't sustainable with the contracts that are coming. So, and, and, you know, as I said, you don't pay that much to running backs. I also don't believe you should be, be paying more than $6 million a year to a goaltender. I just don't think that's how successful teams are built. Yeah, they're great goalies in the league, but a, a 1A, 1B tandem, um, you know, 
is is fine by me. And I, and I think Braden Holtby, 4.3 is a lot of money given what he did a year ago, but two years, there's not any trade protection attached to him. You can expose him in the expansion draft and advise you some time to get Demko ready, right? So uh, I think Demko is going to be a real good goaltender. I think they made the right decision on Markham, but Markstrom, but more importantly, you know, the thing with Demko is he could be that guy. Markstrom is that guy. And the Canucks kind of need that guy when their defense is as bad as it's been. Right. This team gives up a lot of scoring chances. They give up a lot of high danger scoring chances. So they also needed to improve their defense. So the fact that they were able to get a deal done with Nate Schmidt to legitimately improve their top four, uh, I think, is just as important because you can't give up the types of shots this team gave up during the regular season and through much of the playoffs. Right. So I think that mattered. Am I giving them a high grade overall for free agency? I'm not right. I think they really dropped the ball on Tyler Toffoli. Uh, I think for 1.7 million, they should have found a way to keep Troy Stetcher. And, and I think in the case of Nate Schmidt, he wasn't part of the plan. He just happened to fall into their laps when Vegas made a big pitch for Alex Petrangelo. So, um, you know, overall, I'm not necessarily giving them a high grade, but right now it looks a lot better than it did 48 hours ago before Nate Schmidt was a Vancouver Canuck. Uh, I just wanted to ask you about the potential Oliver Ekman Larson trade that was uh, hopping around social media. Do you believe that was a close trade or there was some serious talks about it? I think it was very close. Uh, I think everything had been agreed upon except the prospect player, right? The picks going the other way, the contracts going the other way. I think it was all done. Um, it was just that the Canucks weren't willing to give up four particular players, three of them who you haven't seen yet because they haven't played in the NHL. And one of them was Thatcher Demko. And I think the fact that they weren't willing to give up Demko told you everything you need to know about what the Markstrom situation was at that time. They knew they just weren't going to be able to bridge that gap. And, you know, they, the Canucks were willing to go uh, to five years, which is more than what they wanted. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they weren't willing to get to seven, which Edmonton was and six, which Calgary ultimately did. I don't think it was completely flawed thinking, but I think it turned into a real distraction, right? Because the Canucks were a year ago with Alex Sedler and in the early stages of this free agency were showing, Hey, we're disciplined now. We're not making the mistakes we made before. Then all of a sudden you start wanting to look at Oliver Ekman Larson, who's, you know, he's not a top five defenseman in the NHL anymore. You can argue he's probably around, you know, top 15. So would he have made their D better? Yes. But it basically completely paralyzed what they were doing in terms of, the rest of their existing free agents, right? And as a result, they didn't have much in the way of conversation with Toffoli. They didn't have much in the way of conversation with Troy Stetcher. And, and I think that's where they ultimately wound up dropping the ball for two guys who took less. So, you know, yes, it was close. Is it the right thing? I'm going to say no. Uh, and I'm going to say there was a huge distraction. I think getting Schmidt for what they're paying him for the term he's got remaining is a much more sound investment than what they would have been paying Oliver Ekman Larson. Yeah, I kind of wanted to build off that question. Uh, I want to talk about Cole Lynn. He's a Saskatoon kid. Yeah, He's been talked about as a potential fit on the Canucks roster for next season, as well as I would imagine one of those pieces that would have been in the Oliver Ekman Larson trade potentially. Uh, I'm yeah, just curious. You know, I, I'm just... My understanding is that uh, the Canucks may have been willing to part with Cole Lind, but you know, the, the, the guys they weren't willing to part with were Jack Rathbone, uh, Vasily Podkolzin, and Nils Hoglander. Those were the three rookies they weren't willing to part with. Um, I don't believe that uh, Vegas had a big interest in Cole Lind. And, and I do think that Cole Lind is, um, you know, he's probably amongst the top five prospects in the organization. But my sense of it is coming into next year, uh, there's probably a belief that Hoglander is a little farther ahead in terms of a forward that's being projected 
to come in. I think I think Lind is right there. I think there's a real good possibility at some point next year we see Lind in a Vancouver Canuck uniform that he, you know that he just gets a call up and he gets an opportunity to to have some run for a few games. But I, I do think some of the other guys um, are a little more highly touted and and uh, are up the ladder a little bit in, in terms of the organization. But I think Lind has grown. You know, a couple of years ago I think they had bigger expectations and he was a little slow to get started. But I think since then he's shown a more completeness to his game and and I think they um, I think they like him. They're high on him and I think they believe he's an NHL player pretty familiar with Michael Furland from his time in Saskatoon with the Blades. I know concussions are obviously unlike any other injury in terms of projecting where they're at, but I'm curious if you've heard anything about the health of Michael and where he may potentially slot in for the 2021 season. Yeah, you know, his agents made some statements that he's feeling great and that he wants to, you know, he, he wants to try it. And I hate hearing it. You know, Michael Furland's a good guy um, and he's a good player when he's healthy. But I'm, I'm telling you, he's not going to be healthy again. Like, I'm not a doctor, and I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. But when you look at what's happened, you know, in, in terms of his comeback attempts, last year should tell you all you need to know. He made three or four comeback attempts and, and just couldn't get past, you know, a couple of periods, right? I mean, he went into that first playoff game. He had a great training camp, you know, the second training camp before, before the bubble. He looked good. I, you know, I was at every one of those practices and I thought, wow, you know, this could be Michael Furland. Wow, the Canucks, he could make such a difference on this team. And he got into that first game and you could tell right out of the gate, he wanted to make a point of getting into a fight to show to himself and everybody else that he could be that player. Big mistake. There was no need for him to, to go down that road, but he did it and he finished the game and that was it. That was the last we saw of him. He was outside the bubble and that was it. And he made comeback attempts during the year. He couldn't get past a period in one of those attempted comebacks in the minors. And this is not a criticism of, of Michael Furland, right? Michael Furland deserves to have a good life, right? You know, I, I hope at some point he gets has kids and gets to, you know, enjoy them. Hopefully he's made a lot of money that he's set up for the rest of his life. Um, I don't know what it feels like to be a professional athlete and have someone try to take my career away from me. Everybody wants to go on their own terms. So, so I, I don't know what it's like, but I, I do want to be empathetic to that. But I, I just wish that Michael Furland's agent and other people around Michael Furland would say, Michael, it's time to retire because it, it just, he was a concussion risk when they signed him and it's proven to be that way for the time that they've had him. And it's unfortunate because good guy, good career, and you wish nothing but the best for him. Uh, more recently on TSN here, a documentary aired featuring Ryan Castle, The Problem of Pain. I was wondering, I know you've been covering the team for a while. I, I was wondering if uh, maybe if there was any hints of when Ryan Castle was playing that he might be going through these hardships later down the road in life with uh, painkiller addiction and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know what? Um, I, I can't say there was any indication. I mean, one thing with Ryan, even though by the end of his career in Vancouver, he became a bit of a diva, uh, during his time on the ice, I mean, he did give everything to his team, right? Um, he sacrificed, I remember the first year, you know, he, he broke a bone, you know, in the first game back, he was flying, trying to block shots and risking everything. And that's just the way he was wired, right? Um, he would be the guy that would try to come back early from injury. There's no question about it. You know, when you get the core muscle injuries as well, those things linger, you know, you don't see a lot of people that completely recover from those, you know, along with back injuries. And those were the types of things that Ryan Kessler had. So when you look at the type of game he played, it's, it's no surprise that he spent a lot of time with, with painkillers and, and pain masking injections and, and things of that nature. But, you know, I, I can't sit here and say that I could sense a time that he was dealing with addiction. So, 
you know, and, you know, I, I saw the documentary and, you know, I'm not sure if necessarily he still would classify himself in that regard. So I don't want to do that as well, but um, certainly a guy whose character on the ice would be susceptible to something like that because he was just willing to give everything for the game. Uh, you've had a long career with uh, PSN <laughs> and being placed in Vancouver. Sorry, I didn't, ma- no, I didn't no, want to make, it's I funny. Want to make I, you I feel guys, old there. But... I get guys telling me I'm the OG now. I'm, I'm, I'm... <laughs> anyway. I, just wanted, I just wanted to ask for like your highlight, like maybe the Olympics, maybe the Canucks Stanley Cup run that ended with a little rioting. But like what, what's, been, what's been the best standout so far for you? Um, you know, I, I get asked this question a lot, favorite interview, favorite moment. Um, you know, I would probably say 2010, uh, was, was pretty special to be a part of just because it is my hometown. I've done five Olympics. Uh, the Olympics are always great. Summer Olympics are even better, you know, Athens and London, I covered those and they were fabulous, but to do it in your own hometown, I actually spent most of the time in Whistler. I was covering the sliding events and it, it was really cool from a logistical standpoint because I was in a chalet right across from the village. You know, I'd walk through the village every day and up a gondola and I was right at the venue. And then I also got, so I did everything up there, but then I also got to cover the gold medal hockey game. Uh, so, you know, to, to be a part of all of that in your hometown, I think it was a pretty special accomplishment. Um, you know, uh, London was a lot of fun uh, just because uh, I was part of the broadcasts for track and field and I'm a big track and field guy and spending time with uh, Usain Bolt and Oscar Pistorius, who's now the subject of a documentary for, uh, you know, for attempted murder and all of these types of things. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's been a really good career and I hope I'm not done yet. Well, we appreciate you taking the time for us, Farhan. This was awesome. Really appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. And I love the CFL in Saskatchewan, one of my favorite places to go to. So uh, you guys are living in in <laughs> one of the best parts of the country. I envy you guys. <laughs> Pilsner country. <laughs> I'm not a Pilsner guy, but I like my Saskatchewan. Boys, it was a pretty busy week five in the NFL. Some big injuries, most notably Dak Prescott, Chetty. I think we got to go to you here to hear your thoughts obviously a big blow to the franchise they're still undoubtedly the favorites in the nfc east but losing your guy like that it's pretty pretty tough to see yeah that was pretty gross i was actually up in my girlfriend's cabin so i was trying to stream the game on her wi-fi and it was cutting in and out and one it cut uh past the injury and all of a sudden andy Dalton was playing quarterback and i was getting a few text messages so you knew something was wrong but after rewatching it on the replay, that was disgusting. Um, as Tony Romo said, I did hope it was just a really bad cramp, but turned out to be a uh, fractured an- or a broken ankle. Um, we did go on to win that football game, which was big for him. Uh, I feel terrible for him though, because like what we talked about earlier, he took a chance on himself. He had a contract ready to sign for him, but he didn't want to sign it because he felt he was worth more money. And uh, now he's not going to be playing football for quite some time. So what does this look for in the Cowboys? I still think we're the number one team in our division, which is sad to say, but um, I think we'll be okay. I think the Ginge can lead us. What else did you guys think of the busy, the busy Sunday, Sunday night, our DK Metcalf just kind of continues to emerge on the scene as a star. He really feels like the next great receiver. Eric, what games did you catch this weekend? Uh, it was busy week. Busy week for me watching uh, lots of the NFL games. I know I keyed in on the Bears game as those are my boys. They took down uh, Tom Brady and uh, the highly overrated team over there in Tampa. Uh, Nick Foles looked a little sluggish off the start, but then uh, prove his work. Prove, sorry, showed uh, showed he still got that Super Bowl MVP in him. 
uh, was slinging the football. Allen Robinson was making plays. The Bears defense looked out of, like another world, like they were on another planet. They were just lighting it up back there. Uh, what other? I caught the Chiefs Raiders games. That was another hell of a matchup. Love to see that dynasty go down, uh, especially the face of a new, the newish Las Vegas Raiders for organization. Uh, what else did I catch here? Browns. I think the Browns are finally making a push here, and they're starting to look like the team everyone kind of thought they were from the get-go. I know you're buying uh, into the hype. Big... Hey, you were trashing it a couple weeks ago. I know. I'm back. I'm into you're it. You're a soccer. No, you're I'm... a soccer. Yeah, I'm into it. Yeah. So I'm starting to buy in on that uh, Cleveland franchise, and then uh, of course I'm looking forward to tomorrow night. The Bills taking on the Titans. My boys are uh, looking to keep the winning streak alive here. Looking to go five and zero. How about our Canadian? Yeah, we got to talk a little bit about that. I was going to get to that. Chetty, you called, uh, you said maybe a touchdown for Chase Claypool. How about four Steelers getting it done yeah. over the Eagles? Love to see the Eagles go down. But Dinesh, we maybe got to talk a bit about your uh, your Ravens. How are you feeling? Like pretty strong division, maybe the best in football in that a- AFC North. Browns, Ravens, Steelers. Are you getting a little bit concerned for Lamar and company? I am getting a little bit concerned, but not really. Just uh, this year, I think the Ravens are struggling big time in the past game, man. It's not looking like it was last year. Mar Jackson's uh, just not finding his guys like he used to. Or He's I guess been a bit of a disappointment. Year. Yeah, it's not. Uh, the wins are coming uh, fairly easy, but uh, they've been also playing some pretty bad teams, minus the Browns. They did play them in, I think, uh, week two or week one. So the Browns weren't all that good. I think their only loss, the Browns' only loss is to the Ravens. So. That was before they kind of caught this hot streak. So everyone said, yeah, all the wins they've got is against CT teams, which I agree with. And then uh, it showed really against Kansas City, man, when that pass game looked like shit, man, against that defense. And and it was uh, stated in a con- press conference that Lamar was uh, not happy with the uh, offense right now and how the pass game is looking. But uh, hopefully they can turn it around. And uh, one of these other teams are going to collapse, man whether it be the Browns and Baker going downhill, OBJ freaking getting into a drama, you know, stirring the pot. One of these teams will collapse and it'll come down to a two-man race. I'm thinking uh, Pittsburgh Ravens, two-man race. I got one for you, boys. Um, down in the bayou, I know uh, Michael Thomas got uh, suspended by the team for one game. Be If you were in charge of that franchise and your player got into a fight with another player in practice, probably being the best wide receiver in the world questionably would you play him regardless of his actions okay first off unquestionably the best receiver in the world secondly it was not a suspension they just chose to sit him because of his actions it <laughs> wasn't basically actually a suspension, basically a suspension wasn't a sus- they basically suspended suspension. Him. eric i'd say Considering it's Michael Thomas, considering it's the position like wide receiver, you know, it's a position that everybody loves to say they're divas. You can't let Michael Thomas kind of be like an Odell. You know what I mean? You kind of got to like if you're a New Orleans Saints franchise that has serious Super Bowl aspirations, you kind of got to lay down the line once in a while, you know, let guys know that like Sean's running this show. Some punk receiver like Odell, you know, isn't running the show. I like it. They knew it's it's just a another Week five matchup in the grand scheme of things. Win or loss, probably not too important. They ended up pulling out the win without him. Maybe Michael looks himself in the mirror tonight and realizes, hey, this isn't my team. This is Drew's team. 
Interesting. I, I, I'm thinking, like, you got to think this isn't just a normal fight. You know what I mean? Like, the DB oh, was in the lineup. Like, Michael must have been just being a donkey. See, for me, personally, I think in this case, you're on a Saints team that, no offense to the Saints, but they haven't been doing as hard as they hoped or wanted to do so far this season. Like, they're not that, they're not the team that everyone thought they were being. And uh, for you just to sit the best receiver in the world, I was pretty boggled. And personally, if I was in charge or had any say in that franchise, he'd be playing. Like, I know you got to control your wide outs and send a message, but he's that guy. And you're on a slipping franchise. How many more years do you have Drew Brees left? You got to give him all the opportunity you can. And you're playing a decent Charger team tonight. I know they still pulled it off, but I don't care what he did. He's still playing under me. I just think about our Evan Hardy souls days. Look at our diva receivers, Cole Parrads, exact putters. You just, you know, you just can't let that shit fly. Okay, we'll get back to the NFL. He will wrap it up. Looking at our week five picks. How about it? I bounce back, coming back at you with four and oh, hitting on Steelers, Browns, Vikings, Chargers, Chetty and Dinesh, another solid week, three and one apiece. Eric, can't say the same about you, falling to one and three. You're crashing to the bottom of the leaderboard. Dinesh and I, right up at the top, eight, three, and one each, kicking us right into a week six with some heavyweight matchups. Here's our marquee four. We'll get right into it. Browns at Steelers. Steelers, four-point favorites at Heinz Field. Dinesh, how are you feeling in this AFC North clash? I got to go with the Steelers, man, because after Claypool's last game, scoring four TDs, looking hot, Ben was slinging it, and uh, Odell or uh, Baker with a slight injury, and then Jarvis kind of getting hit in the first quarter, I think, and he kind of was out for a few plays because of his his hips been bothering him already. So with all those injuries, I don't know if the Browns got uh, what it takes to come out and win, man, and then – you know, some drama might happen pregame, cause them to lose. Got to go Steelers. I don't know what you're getting at with drama pregame, but Eric, you mentioned Browns before. Are you confident heading into this one? Before I make my selection, I just want to let the fans know that last week was a bit of an off week for me. I was feeling under the weather. Uh, but this week, I'm feeling back to normal. My picks will be A1. Not a lot of school today. So uh, I was doing a lot of research. So I'm, I'm guaranteeing a big bounce back performance this week. Um, and yes, without question, the Browns will be taking it to the Steelers. I'm sorry to say it, Canadian fans. Claypool had one big game. You are not seeing the lights up above from God about to take you and drop you on the Super Bowl. The Browns will prevail. <laughs> That was one of the more interesting things you had to say. Uh, Chetty, who do you got? I'm going to take the Steelers. I think uh, they got a lot of weapons on the offensive side right now, and I think the Browns are going to run out of luck, be the classic Cleveland Browns soon enough. Uh, Steelers. I'm going to go with you guys again there. I'm going to take Pittsburgh. I didn't love the way the the Browns played against the Colts. They were a bit shaky. I think – Ben and the Steelers can take a bit, bit more advantage of that than Phillip Rivers and the Colts did last week. How about a heavyweight matchup to the greatest QBs of all time? Meeting for the first time as one's a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady playing host 
to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Packers, two-point favorites down there in Florida. Dinesh, what do you got? I got to go with the Packers on this one, man. You know, if the game's close, you're going to have Aaron Rodgers marching down the field, throwing some sick passes. And then uh, if I heard correctly, uh, Tom Brady didn't know it was fourth down, man, on that uh, at the end of the game. So uh, that shit can't be happening. I lost all faith in that team, man. Got to go Packers. Me? Sure. Uh, I'm going to stick with Dinesh on this one. I'm going to go Packers as well. I just think Aaron Rodgers has been slinging it this year and, and will continue to do so. And, yeah, I didn't really like watching the Buccaneers play that last game, so I don't think uh, they'll be able to handle Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones. I think we might have to have Carter make some picks first. He just seems to be copying you, Dinesh. Eric, what do you got? Well, considering Aaron Rodgers is playing the king accounting to four and the guy who's resembles sleepy Joe Biden and is getting dementia out there, I think it's a no-brainer because Aaron Rodgers is a bad man. Packers by a milli. Hate to all of us take the same team, but I'm going to also go Aaron. I think the line is a bit too heavily favored for Tom. They don't really deserve to be only two-point underdogs. I think people are still a little bit on that Tampa Tampa Bay love. I'm going to take the Packers. Sunday nighter, the Rams heading to San Francisco, Levi's Stadium to take on the 49ers, a banged-up 49ers team. They already lost Nick Bosa. Big question mark, who's going to be at quarterback there? Rams, three-point favorites on the road. Dinesh, what do you got? I got to go with the Rams, man. Just... uh because the uh, San Fran, they couldn't uh, even bring that game close with uh, Miami, man. It's kind of embarrassing, not going to lie. Not to take anything away from Miami, but after their performance last week, got to go with the uh, LA Rams. Chetty? Uh, I was going to take the Rams, but I was getting made fun of previously for just picking what's in the picks. So uh, I'll go uh, out of left field here. So I'll take the... Uh, San Francisco 49ers to cover. I'll say that somehow, some way, they're going to find a way. <laughs> Eric? Uh, I've been doing a lot of research today on this one. I've uh, been getting some good opinions, but uh, my intel is telling me, go with the Rock and Rams. So I will be, in fact, going with the Rams to win this matchup and win by more than two points because the spread is a thing. Well, they're going to need to win boy more than three, so hopefully they can get that, they can get that done. But uh, I agree with you there. Jimmy Garoppolo looked horrendous against Miami. The whole team looked rather horrendous. I also will be taking the Rams. Jared Goff, he's been a bit up and down, but when he's up, he's up. I'm going to take Goff and the Rams to get it done on Sunday night. Monday nighter, or I guess it's a Monday afternoon clash. They moved this one back. It was originally supposed to be on Thursday. Moving it back, Chiefs heading to Buffalo to take on the Bills. Taylor Hall, he posted an Instagram video today saying he's on the Bills Mafia now. So there's a new fan, but I don't think it's going to be enough. I'm going to take the Chiefs, three and a half point favorites despite. They'll get it done. Dinesh, what do you got? Yeah, I just uh, don't think the Bills Mafia and that Bills team has what it takes to take on the Chiefs, man. Sure, Chiefs had one bad game, but uh, they're too much of a powerhouse down there in Kansas. Got to go Chiefs. I'm going to take the Bills. 
I'm going to take uh, Allen to throw for 350 yards with three touchdowns. Go Bills. Bills Mafia break a few tables. Yeah. I, who would I be if I wasn't a real fan chilling for, cheering for my beer? Holy Christ. Who would I be if I wasn't cheering for my Bills boys? Uh, the Bills are going to cover this spread like, or like DB covers peanut butter on his sandwich. Let's go Bills. We still got to get you some little uh, spread education here. It's getting there though. Okay, uh, I thought if I thought if I said the spread, I thought you mean ah, uh, that's for the underdog teams to cover the spread, eh? Cover, yeah. yeah. Shit, ah, oh, I should have used that on my first one. I guess I'd covering the spread like DB covers his sandwich and peanut butter. But uh, yeah, the Bills are gonna win. I think we'll wrap it up there. And once again, thanks to everybody for tuning in. It really means a lot. We're gonna have another episode dropping early next week. Until then.